Good morning. Hey, uh, has nothing to do with the uh, sermon whatsoever, but I, for one, am glad that this is the last day of the Olympics because I really need some rest. Does <laughs> anybody else like me? I came home from beach camp thinking you don't get any rest there, and then you come home thinking you're going to get some rest and the Olympics are on. I'm like, come on, give me a break. Hey, I, I love the Olympics, though. Um, I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor, preaching for Pastor John this morning because he is on vacation and actually backpacking. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how you rest backpacking, just for the record, but... Hey, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, but before we get to that, um, I wanted to highlight this uh, flyer that's in the bulletin this morning. It says, uh, bless the building on Sunday, August the 26th, um, from 5 to 6, maybe even not quite that long. We are going to gather down at our new property on a, by our administration building. If you've been by there, you've seen that it's kind of framed and up and looking good, but we're going to gather as a congregation and we're going to have some Sharpie pens, and we're going to let you uh, write um, scriptures on the inside, outside, and all over the building. Uh, just to, it's just a time to symbolically recognize that a lot of ministry is going to go on down there, and our church is committed to the Word of God, and so it's kind of our way of recognizing that, and we'll have a time of prayer. So if you can be there, um, highlight those times, and, uh, and uh, come down and join that with us. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 33, 38 to 42 here in just a moment, but just a couple of introductory statements to remind us I'm, I've been preaching through when I've preached periodically through the, what I think and what many think is the greatest sermon ever preached by our Lord, which is recorded in Matthew chapter, chapters 5 and 7. Um, I know it's repetitious, but I do not want us, I've said it every time, every time I've preached on this, this set of scriptures. I want us to remember what the overall context of these passages are. And that is that first and foremost, Jesus, when he preached this message, teaches to us, helps us to see how far short we fall when we are compared to a holy God. We are truly spiritually bankrupt. Um, we are lost. Only the Lord can save us from our sins. And there is nothing in us that can save us. We need a Savior. I mean, who can, it, who can read this, even as Christians? Who can read this and see Jesus deal with things like issues like anger and lust and lying and on and on and on and not realize we always fall short? We need a Savior. Once we have given our life to Christ, what is kind of the secondary context to it is that when we give our lives to Christ, we are called as citizens of the kingdom of God to live in a certain way. There's a responsibility. And when we live as Jesus has called us to live, we counter the lifestyle of the world. We witness to who Jesus is by how we live our life. It is our greatest form of evangelism. When we live how the Lord calls us to live, people see how we live and they see Jesus living through us. And God uses that to draw him to, to himself. Today we are going to look at what is the fifth illustration, or actually as some commentators call it, the fifth antithesis that Jesus offers to depict what he calls a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We're going to look at this um, very famous law, which we refer to as an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Really what's going on is Jesus is going to speak to us about what our proper response is to folks when we are personally wronged. 
So with that said, let's read the text together. Matthew 5, 38, 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That is a crazy, to me, a crazy passage. Because to me, it truly does kind of make my mind go crazy. I mean, you've got an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then you've got, do not resist an evil person. I mean, what do you do with that? It truly is an antithesis. As I was thinking through it, I thought of two situations that I've had in my past, and I share them with you to get you thinking. It was my first day, I think it was my first day as a freshman at Tulare Western High School. I was walking down, you know, one of the hallways with a friend. We were headed to, uh, I think we were headed to the cafeteria, and it was me and another guy, and then I saw two guys come in the opposite direction that were bigger than me, and as we walked past them, one of those guys wound up, I didn't even see it coming, and blam, he just nailed me in the arm. Boom, just hit me. And I just kept walking. And, I mean, is that what do not resist an evil person is all about? Do we just let it happen and keep going? Um, you know, my buddy said, how did you, you know, it was like, what just happened? I was like, I don't know, but I hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> you know, and I heard the buddy of the guy that hit me say, dude, what are you doing? What was that all about? You know, that all happened just that quick, but I just kept walking. My junior year of high school, I walked into a bathroom. I believe it was my junior year. I was on the varsity football team. I'd grown up a little bit since my freshman year. And I walked in and a friend of mine, his name was Gordon. He was in the bathroom and three guys, three football players that I played football with were around him and they were going to pants him. I don't know if you know what that means. They were going to pull his clothes off of him and they were going to drag him out into the courtyard of the school. They were just picking on him. And I know what it's like to be picked on. I was picked on as a little kid and I just couldn't stand for that. So I said, hey guys, this is not going to happen. And they said, Tim, you're not going to stop us. I said, well, I'm sure going to try. You want to, let's go. Um, well, they believed that they didn't want any part of me at that point. And they, which I was really glad on because on the inside I was scared to death. <laughs> but it stopped. So how does that fit with, you know, not resisting an evil person? Or is that the eye for the eye or the tooth for the tooth? I mean, it, when you start thinking about it, it'll drive your mind kind of crazy. So let's, what I want to do is I want to kind of walk through it with you. And I don't believe I've ever studied this passage in depth before. And I found out that as I worked through it, that really Jesus brings all this together really well. And there's a great message for us. So let's walk through it kind of verse by verse, if you will. Let's first deal with this whole issue of wrongs versus rights. Jesus says, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is actually an exact quotation from three Old Testament passages. I'm going to, I'm going to read you a little more than the actual passage to give you a little bit of the context of what's being said here. The first one is found in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25, and it says, if men who are fighting 
hit a pregnant woman, they ought to be shot. No, it doesn't say that. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant, I don't know where, I, where that came from. I just I didn't say that in the first service. Um, it's because I'm sleep deprived from the Olympics. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth premature, prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and then so on. Leviticus 24, 17-20 says, If anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has injured the other, so he is to be injured. Then finally, Deuteronomy 19, 18 to 21 says, the judges, now hang on to that because that's key to understanding this. The judges must make a thorough investigation and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and so on. Now this represents what is known as the oldest law of man. It's, some refer to it as the law of retaliation, or it's called the lex talionis, which makes me think of a Batman character. I'm not quite sure why, but lex talionis. Lex refers to law. Talionis is retaliation. Now this sounds kind of I mean, to us, in our culture, it sounds kind of savage. But it was actually a very merciful law that was created to, to deal with, with vengeance, if you will. See, in those days, when it was created, you, you would have these blood feuds amongst these tribes. And what would happen is one tribe would retaliate against another, and then the other tribe would retaliate back, and it would escalate. And the lex talionis was created to stop that. For example, one tribe might do something to another tribe for trespassing, and then the other tribe would respond back by, by some kind of physical beating, and it would continue to just to escalate. And the lex talionis was to stop that and to say, no, you don't escalate, that's not fair. You, you give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and so on. That's what it was centered on. The lex talionis is foundational to our justice system. Civil, penal, international law is all based on the idea of equity that came from the lex talionis. But as it existed in the Bible, the lex talionis was not given to individuals. It was given to the judges to make rulings for the community. The law was not never designed, it was never designed to be discharged by individuals who wanted to seek some kind of vengeance. That's not what it was about. There was nothing wrong with the lex talionis. You've got to remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. He's not saying that there's anything wrong with it. What he's addressing is the people's 
kind of manipulation of the law. He's, he's dealing with the way they have taken the law and misused it. God's people were using the law to personally deal with perceived wrongs against themselves personally. It had to do with what they were doing was they were, trying to fig- they were trying to deal with these wrongs by saying, how far can I go according to the lex, lex talionis and not violate the law? But what they ended up doing was manipulating the law to seek revenge. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He's saying, no, that's not proper for God's people. So he comes in with an antithesis to make a point. It's a contrast. It's, a, it's, it's an opposing thought, if you will. And he starts by, telling, by saying in verse 39, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now that's a strong statement. And I want to help you to see that that statement has been used to um, make kind of a theological point that I don't think is being made here. I just want to make you aware of it. Um, some believers have thought that what Jesus is saying here is there should be no resistance of evil at all. Leo Tolstoy, who you maybe have heard of, the Russian novelist, in his book, uh, What I Believe, tells about this intense time of soul searching that he had, and, and he had read and reread the Sermon on the Mount and this particular passage, and then in one life-changing moment, he came to understand that what Jesus was saying is you should never resist an evil person at all. He read it very literal. And this is where we get this view that's called pacifism. Now, pacifism takes on all kinds of different um, ideas. For example, you know, in the extreme view, um, they would get rid of army, police force, resistance at all. They would say especially that no Christian should ever be in any kind of law enforcement, um, court of law, um, the army, or anything like that. Some believe, another kind of view of that, is that they believe that force is just and necessary um, for the police and the courts, but they would disavow killing and war altogether. Now that's, a, that's, that's what comes out of this passage, and I don't think I'm going to solve it here today. You know, I had a discussion with a pastor years ago, and we, talk, we were talking about this issue. I have no idea. I don't remember how it came up, but I remember... I remember he and I having this discussion about how um, he said that if someone broke into his house, he would not resist them. And I was like, you mean to tell me you wouldn't protect your family? He said, no, I believe that's, what God's, that's God's place. I would pray for him. I would try to talk him out of it, but I wouldn't stop him. Well, I just got to tell you, I'm not a pacifist, if that's what a pacifist <laughs> is. You come into my house and threaten my family, which belongs to the Lord, I'm going to resist you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> but I think of this great, I think of this, you know, what comes into my mind as I think about these issues are, you know, the great quote by Edmund Burke that I think you may know. It says, all that is necessary for triumph to evil, for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. So I'm not in that camp. I, I don't believe um, that it's a scriptural principle, by the way, because I don't believe Jesus would contradict Scripture. And Romans 13 clearly teaches that, that the state is a divine institution created by God to power and punish wrongdoers. But let me tell you this. I only bring this up here because this verse is used to, to you know, kind of support that view. 
But I got to tell you, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't even think this should be argued from this text. I think Jesus is saying something totally different. You see, Jesus, see, the people were using the lex talionis to justify their responses to perceived wrongs. And then Jesus comes in and says, don't resist an evil person. And the point is, what is Jesus saying? And this is why context is so important, because Jesus goes on to say what he meant by don't resist an evil person by giving us four illustrations as to what that means. And so let's walk through those four illustrations. Remember, though, as we walk through them, this is not written to all people. We can't take this and apply it to all people because it's not written to all people. It's written to God's people, those who know the Lord, those who have the Holy Spirit within them. It's very important to understand that. By the way, you that are in law enforcement, I said it in the first service and I want to say it here. I am really thankful for Christians in law enforcement, for Christians in the military. We need good godly people in those places of authority because only Christians really know how to exert justice in a godly way. The four, in, the four illustrations that Jesus uses to help us to understand what he means by do not resist an evil person. The first has to do with insults. Matthew 5.39 says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Notice that Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek. I think that's key. Because to strike someone on the right cheek, if you are right-handed like most people are, not all, but to strike them on the right cheek, you have to hit them with the backhand. And see, in that culture, you've heard the term a, a backhanded slap. In that culture, in rabbinic law, to hit someone with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting them with the, with the flat of the hand. The point being is in that culture, they would understand if someone slaps you on the, on the cheek, on the right cheek, give them the, left che or give them the other cheek as well, they would understand what, what Jesus is talking about is not an actual slap, but a calculated disgraceful insult that is purposefully given to someone. We know that Jesus speaks all the time about us being insulted as believers for the faith. When, when he started this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, listen to what he says. It's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people insult you. They give you a backhanded slap. And persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In turning the other cheek, what Jesus is talking about, it's not like when that, fret, when that guy hit me that I should go back and say, hey, could you do the other one too? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that when someone insults you, you don't return that in kind. The lex talionis would say, as they do to you, so you do to them. God says, no, for our people, don't get caught up in all that justice fair stuff. You return to them what they don't deserve, and that is grace. Don't return an insult with an insult. And this is so countercultural to the culture we live in, if we act that way, because we 
So often people want to cry, unfair. And instead of looking for what is fair and what's not fair, we ought to look for what God wants. And what God wants is for us to respond with grace for the sake of the kingdom. The second thing he gives is listed in verse 40, and I'll call it a ripoff. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. By the way, these are all illustrations to make the one point. In that culture, we can't understand that, but in that culture, you could actually sue someone for the clothes off their back or the shirt off their back. You could do that. But what you couldn't do was you couldn't take their cloak. And their cloak, by the way, in modern terms, we would understand that to be a a heavy jacket or something that would keep you warm. See, in that culture, the law was you couldn't take their cloak. And Jesus comes in and he says, hey, they want to take your tunic? Give them your cloak as well. The point is, is that the Lord is trying to teach us that God's people should be prepared to abandon their rights by law for the sake of the Lord. This is why, by the way, that Christians should should resist, should avoid going into the courts of law. See, when we want to go, I can't tell you how many times I've been with people that want to go into the into the justice system. And you know why they want to go into the justice system? They don't want the church to help them to decide what's right and wrong. They want to go into the justice system because they want to get what's fair and what's right and what they deserve. And the Bible teaches us, especially Christians to Christians, Christians should never take another Christian to court. Never. Unthinkable. 1 Corinthians 6, 5 to 9 says, I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother goes to law to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? See, that, that sounds so weird to us. Why should I be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Several years ago, we, our leadership, put what we call our relational commitments into our bylaws, and it is now our relational commitments we teach during our inquirers class, and a member has to join our church. You have to agree to the relational commitments. How we as believers are called to live with one another is children of God in this church. And do you know that that particular, um, the particular relational commitment that has to do with taking a brother to court says, you know, we can't do that, that we had our, we had our members that were already members and we took them through this so that we could kind of bring everybody up to speed. And that one created the most problems for folks because they were like, well, you don't understand what it's like to have a business. And, you know, it went on and on and on. And it was like they, they, they just really struggled to sign that relational commitment. And listen, this it doesn't mean that we don't ever end up in court. Sometimes unbelievers take us to court. We have to go, and then we're honest when we're there. But believers to take believers to court is unthinkable in the kingdom of God. And the point that, that Jesus is making here is he's saying, even if they take you to court, even if they sue you for the clothes off your back, do good to them, even whether they deserve it or not, for the sake of the kingdom. 
Romans 12, 17 to 21 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written as mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The point being is we try to be gracious to people. When your neighbor's tree that you've been trying to get him to cut down for years because it's a mess and it makes your backyard filthy and it's, and it, and it's going to come down at some point because it just needs to be cut down and it falls and it lands on your power line which goes through his backyard and it bends your riser over that your, your weatherhead is on, your main power line, and you've got to call in the Edison company to turn off the power and then pay for an electrician to get that fixed and it's in the realm of a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars and you can't get a hold of your neighbor to get him to pay for it you don't take him to court you live with it you keep trying to get him to pay for at least a portion of it the Lex Talionis says get what is due you the Bible says don't get what is due you give what you Give what is not deserved, and that is grace. I hope he pays, just for the record. <laughs> Forced labor. He's a good guy. Forced labor is the next one. Matthew 5.41, If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now this comes from the Roman practice of commandeering civilians. In other words, this was a law that was a part of the Roman Empire where a Roman soldier could, could at any moment tell you to do something. You, you'll remember it from when Simon the Cyrene was told by the Roman soldier to carry the cross of Jesus. That's this law. You have to do it. And what our Lord does is He comes in and says, listen, by law this is what you have to do. If they ask you to go one mile, Jesus says, don't just go one mile, go two. Go more. Jesus' followers, God's people, should not be insulted because someone asks them to do something that is outside the bounds of what is right or expected. He says, do, do more. When your boss comes to you and asks you to do something that by the the um, union, you're, you, you should, he shouldn't have to do it. You just do it anyway. Or if someone asks you to do something for you, for them, that is below your seniority, you do it anyways just to be gracious, to show them grace. And if you have a bad boss and he picks on you all the time, you just show grace in return. You don't complain about it. That's what Jesus is saying. God's people find joy in life even when they are treated wrong. And when they, when they give grace rather than apply the lex talionis, God uses that in, in the believer's life to draw that other person to themselves. I mean, to the Lord. You understand? We complain too much. We worry about what's right and what's wrong and and we act just like the rest of the world, when in reality we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. And we ought to be happy that we have life to do what it is we think we shouldn't do. When a little girl comes to your cabin at two in the morning 
and says, our toilet's clogged up and it's going all over the floor. Can you come and fix it for us? You don't go, well, I'm the pastor. Get, go get a volunteer. You know, go get Eric DeHaan. He's lower on the food chain. You don't do that, right? We don't even think that way. We do it, and we do it gracefully. And then, then you get to the fourth one is borrowing or money. In verse 42, Jesus says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I can't help but think about the guy on the street corner. Or you're in a hurry and you're coming out of store and a guy walks up to you and says, hey, buddy, can you spare a quarter? Which to me just seems really weird. What can you buy in this culture for a quarter? I mean, you don't want a quarter? Why not just ask me for 20 bucks? That would make more sense to me. But you know what I mean? Does this, is this saying that every time somebody asks, you ought to give it? Because... Um, I've heard stories about people that have gone broke because, of, because they applied that, that literal. You've got to understand, this is not a mechanical set of rules. Jesus is trying to drive home a point. He's not saying that in each and every situation you do this because you've got to look out for, the right, for the, what's good for the other person as well. Sometimes if you just give money to people, you might be adding to what is a problem in their life. You don't just keep doing it. R. Kent Hughes says, if turning the other cheek would make the assaulter more angry, or if yielding the cloak would make a legal robber more greedy, or going the second mile would, would make the press gang more severe and exacting, and exacting, resistance becomes a form of love and duty for the sake of the wrongdoer. The point being sometimes, see he's not saying don't always resist, Sometimes you do resist. We have folks that come to the church. We, we, we really help a lot of people. And some folks, you know, it's become a business for them. Someone comes in, they ask for help, we give them help. Next thing you know, there's, there's six or eight other people coming through the door wanting the same thing. You know, they're in a system that is not good for them. Well, we're not going to keep giving to them in those cases. But what is Jesus saying here? And when he's saying, don't resist an evil, one, an, an evil person, and give when someone asks of you, what he's saying to God's people is that God's people should not be tight-fisted penny-pinchers. We should be gracious. We should give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So often, Christians, believers, spend so much time hanging on to their money, trying to keep what they think belongs to them, which all is given to them by the Lord, by the way. All they are viewed as is tight-fisted penny-pinchers. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, 1 John 3, 16 and 17. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Luke 6, 35 and 36. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. 
Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do I think we should give money to everybody that asks? No. I think I've made that point. I think we need to be, be gracious and compassionate though. I think we need to, people need to see that because God gave to us, we want to give as well. So what is Jesus really saying here? He says, do not resist an evil person. He gives these four illustrations. What's the, what's the bottom line? I think the bottom line is what he's trying to teach us is those who claim the name of Christ consider all situations as an opportunity to share the love of Christ, which was shared with them and is the reason why we live the way we live. We're different. We're different than other people. We do not apply the lex talionis, even though it's fair, we give what is not deserved for the sake of the kingdom, hoping that God will use that to draw those folks to Himself. It's about rights and wrongs. And so many Christians spend so much time, I hear it all the time, all they can talk about is themselves. What is due them? What is right? What their rights are? And I want to help you to understand something by telling you a story about our children. I don't know what age it happened. It happened with both of them, though. Almost identical. You'd think they'd talk. One of them was laying in a hospital bed because just gave birth to our, four, our fourth granddaughter night before last. Friday night, that night before last. The other one is home with a sick baby, so they're not listening to this, and hopefully they won't <laughs> go online. No, they've heard me tell these stories before. I was going to the bathroom. The, see, the, the bathroom in our house is right by the girl's bedroom. I'm going to the bathroom, and I look up, and I see this sign. It says, this is Sharice's room. Knock before entering. Really? This is Nikki's room. Knock before entering. Happened to both of them. And you know, being the gracious dad that I am, I barged in. <laughs> they both were like, Dad, didn't you see the sign? You need to knock before entering. Okay, we're gracious to our children. Don't, don't think we're not. But I was trying to teach them a point. And I said, well, your, your sign misses something. It's actually wrong. It is? Yeah. It's not your room. It's my room. I bought it. I paid for it. Your mother bought it. We paid for it. We just let you live here. <laughs> well, don't we have rights? No. <laughs> you have no rights whatsoever as long as you live in this home. They don't. I mean, think about it. I said, the only rights you have are the rights that we choose to give you. Now, if you don't like that, you can leave. <laughs> Our oldest was like, Dad, are you kicking me out? <laughs> no. Our youngest was like, well, let's talk about this. I think we can, we can argue this point. But you get the point. But folks, that is very much like the kingdom of God. As Christians, we have absolutely no rights except those rights which God gives us. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And our Lord asks us not to get caught up on what is fair and not fair, but to get caught up on the grace of God and give to others as He has given to us. We are different than the rest of the world. The world has this kind of legislative obsession with fairness. We don't get caught up in that. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The old way of doing things is gone. The new has come. We forgive others and we treat them with, res with respect for the sake of the gospel. I'm talking about unbelievers. We don't respond with what is, do, what is due them. We respond with what is not due them. Pastor John, I don't know if it's his thought or if it's something he got from someone else, but he has told us many times in our staff meeting and maybe from this pulpit that evil will always take advantage of good. In a world infected by sin, evil will always take advantage of good. If we're going to keep running around and complaining about how we're getting taken advantage of, well, you're not going to be very unhappy because you're going to get taken advantage of in a world infected by sin. But we don't apply the lex talionis. We give what they don't deserve. We try to respond with grace. That doesn't mean that we just give everything. It just means in our attitude, we try, to we try to respect them in a right way. We forgive each other and treat each other respectfully. I'm talking about believers now. It is true that I'm a bit of an athletic junkie and certainly an Olympic junkie. And this morning, after my devotions, I was looking at some replays of the Olympics, things that I hadn't seen, wanted to see, and I came across an interview of Lolo Jones, who is a 100-meter sprint um, Hurdles. Hurdles. Jumps the hurdles. I don't jump hurdles. If I was a 100-meter hurdleist, I would go through the hurdles because I'm a football player. That's what we do. But I was watching this interview of Lolo Jones, and I thought it so applies to what I want to share with us right now. Lolo Jones had been kind of, you know, attacked in the media. Um, and the reasons and wise and what fors for that is not what's important. What's important is what, I, what she said. She was in tears as she, as she was being interviewed because the American, America media had gone after her so hard. And she, in tears, speaking to the person that was interviewing her, said, what hurt so bad was it was the American media that went after me. We are all on the same team. If it had been the media from another country, she could have understood it. But she said, I'm working hard to try to, to, try to um, compete for my country, and my own country's going after me. We're all on the same team. And I thought to myself, that is exactly what Christians do. We go after one another. We treat each other disrespectfully. We, we fight over petty things. And the whole time 
The world is watching on. We forget what, Je what Jesus said in John, that's recorded in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he drives it home by saying, you must love one another. Why? Because by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Listen, folks, as believers, we, underst we understand that if, if the lex talionis was applied to the offenses we have done to our Lord, if we got what we really deserved from God, what that would be would be the wrath of God. But we understand that Jesus died on the cross for us to give us what we never deserved. And so we need to learn to respond in the same way. If you've got a problem with someone, you need to make it right for the sake of the kingdom. We need to stop complaining and moaning and groaning and get on, each, get on the same team together because we are for the sake of the kingdom. What so grieves our Lord, I believe, is when God's people get caught up in worrying about what's right for them and the whole time that's going on, the unbelieving world is watching and the kingdom is suffering. Let's stand. I've asked Brian to, and the, I think it's the praise team, to lead us in a closing song. We usually play music and dismiss you, but this morning I thought it might be good to give us just a couple of minutes to reflect before the Lord. Let's sing this song together. If you need to make something right with the Lord, now would be the time to do that. If you need one of us to help you and maybe pray with you, we'll be up front. Um, We need to start living for the kingdom.